Good morning, church. Uh, that's a song many of us, if you've been in church, you've sung many times, and kind of is in the same line of kind of what Kip was saying. Uh, the majority of times the word confess is used in the New Testament. It's not in the context of confessing sins. It's in the context of confessing and declaring allegiance, confessing your belief in Jesus. Uh, and there are times where we make a confession like it is well, because that's where we are. It's, it's who we are. We're declaring something that we know to be true. And there are times we make a confession like it is well, not because it's where we are, but because it's where we want to be. It's not that we're being hypocrites when we sing it is well and we're not. It said, here's a statement and I'm together with the church making this statement, even though I'm not there, this is where I want to be. This is what I want to press into. Uh, years ago in my first internship, I was at a church in Dallas, and one week I was doing a youth internship, and one week we were in charge of taking some of the teenagers and going to a children's ministry camp where the teenagers were going to be the counselors and volunteer leaders, and, and I and another intern and some of us, we were in charge of watching over the teens, but I was also put in the, the room with first grade boys, over a dozen of them for a week. It was the week of my life where God made it clear you were not to be a children's minister. <laughs> yeah, you need more patience in your life. It was one of the hardest weeks of ministry of my life. The first night, it was like every boy in that room got up and had some reason they needed to get up and some reason they needed to change beds. You know, like, uh, I mean, I miss my mama. Do I need to use the restroom? Or I'm afraid of spiders. There's a spider under my bed. I forgot my stuffed animal at the house. And finally, it's like, dude, no more excuses. If anybody else gets out of this room, out of your bed, you're going home. And every night, this continued to happen. More excuses. And then the spider kid kept getting up every night. There's a spider under my bed. And I was like, there's not a spider in your bed. Stop it. And every night, these excuses kept coming up. Until day four, I went and looked under the spider kid's bed, and there was a spider under his bed. <laughs> and it wasn't just a spider. It was a huge spider. That spider growled at me, I'm, I'm pretty sure. <laughs> and somewhere, this kid is probably telling the same story I'm telling, and it scarred him for life because of how I treated him for days. It's like, dude, there's not a spider in your bed. Quit telling lies. You're fine. And I just wonder how often is there like a spider under our bed? And we tell somebody and they don't believe us. Or we're afraid to tell somebody because it sounds so crazy. Like, this is the biggest spider I've ever seen. Yet nobody would believe. There's maybe addiction running in your life. And there's no one you could talk to. Or if you did, they may minimize it. Or there's been abuse in your life, and it's, it's there. It's under the bed, but who's going to believe you? Or there's been depression in your life, and you're under our dark cloud, but when you share it with somebody, they don't know how to handle it. So we're in this series called Taboo, because a lot of times there is something under the bed, and we know it's there, and we'd love to talk to somebody about it, but we don't know how to talk about it. So we're diving into some topics that the Bible doesn't have categories for. The Bible doesn't talk a lot about sexual abuse. The Bible doesn't have categories for mental illness or mental health or, and, and things like this, but we're talking about it because the Bible informs how we think and equips who we are to engage the world that they do sit around talking about things like this. Last week we talked about, I talked about sexual abuse. Over 70 people responded 
Not just in a way of saying thank you. Over 70 people responded to me in some way this past week having a story to tell or some way they felt better equipped or needing to apologize to people for how they have behaved to others in the past. A remarkable response. I love how God works. Today I want to talk about something that may be something you were interested in, something you think about a lot like mental illness, depression, suicide. And if you haven't thought about a lot of these things, there will come a time in your life when either you're going to have to think about them for yourself or you're going to have to think about them because you're trying to walk with someone else who's struggling with these things. I'm going to take a break next week. We're going to have a standalone sermon next Sunday. Uh, Casey and I, we're going to let you come up for air just for one week. Casey and I are traveling to Houston where we're speaking at a conference, and then in two weeks from the day, I'll bring this series to a close. I grew up in Dallas. Went to Six Flags a lot as a kid. Had a season pass occasionally. Went with the youth group. I've never seen a roller coaster I will not ride or I will not attempt to ride. Uh, when I've been to Places with Casey and the boys, I try to convince them to go on any ride we can. I love roller coasters. I love adventures. And I don't know if you saw this last summer, and I hesitated to to show this, but will you go to this next slide? Here's an image of Six Flags last year. I don't know if you saw this. This is not a video. This roller coaster is the Shockwave, which is a roller coaster I have ridden. I've been on this ride dozens of times in my life. It got stuck upside down. (laughs) <laughs> and, now, and I hesitate to share it because now I just ruined a vacation for some of you this summer. Some of you are sitting there and you're like, I almost have my wife ready to ride a roller coaster next time we go. Or I almost have my kid ready to ride and now it's ruined forever. It got stuck upside down in Dallas for 30 minutes. And I don't know if you can see it right here, but it's, it was 95 degrees outside with these people hanging, <laughs> just hanging there. And probably looking out and other people treating like them like they're going to the zoo, like taking pictures of them with cell phones. You know? and, and, and no one died, no one was injured. I'm sure people have been scarred for life. But have you ever felt like you've been at a place in your life when it's like you were just stuck upside down? And maybe you were there because of your own sin, because of things, the consequences of things you have done, decisions you have made, and it's like you were upside down. But some of, some, sometimes, and some of you, you find yourself, it's like you're suspended and hanging upside down, and you don't know how you got there. There's this dark cloud around you, even though things around you in life seem to be going so well. You don't know how or why you were upside down, but you are. And sometimes the way stress works is if you have stress for a day, but you don't manage it or do anything about it, it'll become stress for a week, and then it just mounts. It'll become stress for a season, and then years of stress, without managing it or taking care of it, it can slowly deplete the mind. So let me throw out just a few definitions this morning for us, because mental health is such a, mental illness is such a, a broad topic. So let me just throw out a few definitions that I'm kind of working with today. One is with anxiety, that it is a feeling of worry, nervousness, or unease about an event or an outcome. And it's often caused by fear of danger or misfortune. And you look at that and some of you may be like, well, that kind of fits all of us. And I'm sure this isn't about just having an anxious thought because you have a test coming up this week, or it's a hard day on the job this week and you're anxious about it. Some, some people battle and struggle with anxiety. 10% of people living in the U.S. struggle from anxiety disorders, which can mean a number of things, but it's battling with anxiety. Depression is this, a condition of general emotional de- dejection and withdrawal. This isn't just depressed because your favorite team lost yesterday. You're depressed because you went to a movie and you didn't like the movie. This is a state of mind. It's the inability to experience pleasure anymore. It's extreme sadness, poor concentration, sleep problems, loss of appetite, and feelings of guilt, helplessness, and hopelessness. 
Studies show 20 to 30% of people in America, people in the U.S., will suffer from at least one depressive episode throughout their lives. Where it's not just being depressed because your team lost, but suffering from a, a depressive episode, a, dep- a time in your life where you really battle with depression. And it can be harder to, to detect today than it was 15 plus years ago. Because 15 plus years ago, when someone withdrew from family or withdrew from life and they just went home and locked themselves in a room, there were immediate red flags. But now we often go into rooms where we're on our cell phones and we're playing video games and you can do this for you. And people don't know that you're withdrawing from society. It can be hard to detect. Mental health is this. The psychological well-being and satisfactory adjustment to society and to the ordinary demands of life. One of four people around the world live with a mental illness. Here in the U.S., one of five people, 20%, live with mental illness. Typically, it doesn't manifest itself until adolescence because the brain actually has to have a little maturity on it to develop mental illness. It's more common in adolescence today than adolescents suffer from asthma or suffer from diabetes. In fact, in America, one of five will suffer with mental illness enough to impact a life. And if in a teenager who, today, if a teenager struggles with mental illness, there's a good chance that there's going to be a relapse or it's going to resurface throughout their life as an adult. So sometimes what we struggle with in the church is who do we talk to about things like this? And not just who do we talk to, but how do we talk about them? Because the Bible doesn't have categories for things like mental illness, but the Bible informs how we think. And, and you even read, and I'm not saying that every form of mental illness is demon possession, but you do read when Jesus sees people who are not in their right mind that he does have a desire to put them in their right mind. And we know this. And this is a big reason why people suffer. We are more lonely today maybe than ever before. Even though we have greater access to connectivity we, and to connecting with people and staying connected with people, we have people who are really lonely, which means the church has to give way more than lip service when it comes to making statements like, you are not alone. That this isn't just something we say with our lips. Like, you're not alone. It's something we try to live into. Like, what does it mean to come alongside of people and let them know they're not alone? So I'm going to take a risk right now. And I'm going to have people in this room raise your hands if you have struggled or, or if certain areas have impacted your life. I just have three areas I want to, you to raise your hand with. And you have no obligation to raise your hand when I, when I mention a few things. No obligation. It's not defying God. It's not defying me. All right? You have no obligation. I'm just curious. If the topic of mental illness has had an impact on your life, will you just raise your hand? All right, put your hands down. If you have suffered from a depressive moment or you have struggled or battled with depression in your life, will you just raise your hand? No obligation to raise your hand. Put your hands down. If someone close to you has taken their own life, death by suicide, will you just raise your hand? All right. So we're not alone. Isaiah 53 verse 3 says this. This is a prophecy about Jesus. That Jesus is a man of sorrow. And familiar with pain. Some of your versions may have Jesus as a man of sorrow or a man of sorrow and familiar with grief. In Hebrews chapter 2, verse 14 through 18, it says this, Since the children have flesh and blood, he too shared in their humanity so that by his death he might break the power of him who holds the power of death, that is the devil, and free those who all their lives were held in slavery by their fear of death. For surely it is not the angels he helps, but Abraham's descendants." And for this reason, Jesus had to be made like, uh, like them, like us, fully human in every way. 
in order that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in service to God, and that he might make atonement for the sins of the people. Because he himself suffered when he was tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. And for the reading of the word of God, the church said, Amen. Our God so carefully and thoughtfully structured the body and put the body together. It's, it's amazing how God did this. And, and there have been so much research and good research and, and understanding that has come to most of the body but the brain. Like it, it seems like when, I, when I've read books over the last few months in preparation for this sermon, and I've read books on mental health, and I've read books on, uh, from neurologists who have studied the brain, we, we are still in infant stages on like understanding how the brain functions. I feel like there are a lot of organs in our bodies and a lot of the body. We have a better understanding of how they work, but the brain, there's still so much about the brain we don't know. But God so carefully created our bodies, and there are things like neurotransmitters and dopamine and serotonin, oxytocin, endorphins, cortisol, like these things that most of them work together for the good of the body, but some of them don't work together for the good of the body. And God has put the body together where there's body, mind, spirit. There's physical, there's social, there's psychological, emotional, spiritual. There's genetics, there's family history. And just if one of those things goes wrong or isn't firing correctly, it can have an impact on all of the others. If just one isn't working right, this is how the body works. Just some part of your body, if it's not working right, it can have an impact on the entire body. If flu hits your body, it's hitting a specific part on your, of your body, but your entire body may feel the impact of the flu. If you step on a Lego in your house, it's only going to hurt a part of your body, but your whole body will feel the impact of stepping on a Lego in the house. If one thing goes wrong, everything feels the impact. So the way this often works is even like this, Okay. If somebody came up to you, or somebody called you, or somebody put on Facebook, hey, I have the flu, I went to the doctor, I was tested, I tested positive for the flu, they put me on medication, I don't think anybody's going to respond and say, I'm not really sure you have the flu. Or hey, I have strep throat, I went to the doctor, I tested positive, they put me on medicine, I have strep throat, I don't think anybody would say, I don't really know if you have strep throat. Or I'm hot, I have chills, I just took my temperature, it's 103. I don't think anybody would respond with, you don't have fever. But when people say, I'm in a dark place, sometimes we don't know how to respond. I'm in a dark place, I'm feeling depressed. Sometimes the response is, well, you just need a good night's rest. I'm in a dark place, I'm feeling depressed, I'm overwhelmed with anxiety. I've felt this way for years. Well, you know what you need? You need a weekend getaway. You need a week vacation. When if someone is sick with the flu, it's not a sin to have the flu. And it's not a sin for you to have strep throat. And it's not a sin for you to break a bone. And it's not a sin for the mind to be sick. And yeah, we can... <laughs> it's, and, and it's possible for your mind to be sick. And it's, it's not a sin. And it's, it's not, sometimes we're just not sure how to talk about it. We don't know how to respond to it. So sometimes what the church does is by the way we talk about it, it does more harm than it does good. Because there are times people are battling and struggling with mental illness or depression or anxiety or anything under that umbrella. And sometimes our response is, if you just pray more, it'll be better. If you pray and read your Bible, it'll go away. Well, you're anxious because you haven't, you haven't surrendered to God. And if, there, if you're, you're still holding on to something, or maybe people have gone to a place where they've said, there's just some unconfessed sin in your life. Like there's sin in your life. God's trying to identify, and you need to repent of it and surrender of it. And then maybe all these other things will go away. And I want you to hear from me. This, today, on this stage, you're not going to hear any of that from me. 
And I hope from a leadership of this church, this is not going to be our response when people come to us with their minds being sick. And I don't want to minimize spiritual care, how God wants you to have a prayer life for diving in the word. But I do want to acknowledge just a few things about God. One that I think God wants everyone to know they're not alone. And that we also serve a God who is not only the God of the soul, he's also the God of the body and he's the God of the mind. And because he's the God of the mind, God is also the God of science and he's the God of medicine. And God has raised up medication that is useful and helpful for so many of these things, even though it can be a long battle to find the right medicine for you. We have a God who takes great pride in delivering people and setting the mind right. And God has provided so many ways for us to get help and to be helped. There are people in history who've battled with mental illness and forms of it. Abraham Lincoln, Mark Twain, Martin Luther. And recently in our time, you've seen stories, I think, of like Rick and Kay Warren, the pastor out on the West Coast, Demi Lovato, Michael Phelps, Ellen DeGeneres, Dolly Parton, and many, many comedians who many hide behind comedy as a way to mask their depression. People in the Bible like Jeremiah, who wrote Jeremiah and also Lamentations, Job, King David, King Saul, Nebuchadnezzar, Elijah, the list goes on. And whenever there's a part of the body and a part of the mind that is sick, it can have an impact on every other facet of life. A few years ago, Casey and I, we traveled, uh, we, we take a week every year where we get away from kids and we just go enjoy life. And we were uh, down in the Caribbean and we went out on a boat to go parasailing one day. And we're, they're letting us up in the air. And I, I don't know, 250, a few hundred feet up in the air. And we're hovering there and we're looking out. It's gorgeous. We could see down into a clear ocean. We could see fish. We could see scenery. It was gorgeous. We were even, I don't remember if we had a worship time. It was like, man, isn't God amazing? But then I looked down and what I saw was the bolt just a few feet in front of me. Where, 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 it was supposed to be a bolt that was holding the parasail together with this wire connecting us to the boat. I couldn't see the bolt because all I could see was a wad of duct tape. And as I saw the wad of duct tape, I began, I was fixated on the duct tape. And I was like, you know, is it true? I mean, people say duct tape can fix anything. And we sure do hope that's true in this moment. But then I started thinking, if duct tape can fix anything, that means something was wrong. And some guy was like, you know, instead of going out to the truck to get something else, how about we just grab the duct tape and wrap it and it'll be fine. It'll hold people together. And it was probably only 30 seconds that went by where Casey's like, yeah, but just look up and see everything around you. But for me, for a few moments, it was like, all I can think about is if this duct tape's going to hold us together. And Casey's like, lift up your eyes and look at all the beauty and see what's out there. And I'm like, yeah, but the duct tape, the duct tape's right there. And I think there are times in our lives where it is so hard for some people who find themselves in a dark cloud. To be able to see everything else is going well and because it's hard to see past something that's right there in front of them or this cloud that they are in. That, and they're struggling to see beyond it. And the way this often works, and I've talked with a few of you and a few women who've, who've suffered from postpartum depression. And what, what they struggle with is the pregnancy was healthy. The baby's healthy. I'm healthy. There's a loving husband who's here. Everything seems to be go so, going so well, but they feel themselves in this funk. Everything seems to be fine, but they're struggling. They can't find joy. And some people need to give, especially women who've had babies, a lot of permission to say, the body's been through a lot in this time, and it's just not clicking right. 
and it's okay. And, but then what sends some people to a darker place is, well, now, because I'm in a dark place, other people are being impacted, and I can't figure out why I can't be joyful. So now those who suffer from any form of depression and some mental illness is, I don't know why I am here, and I've prayed, and I've read my Bible, and I've surrendered, but I'm still here. And now people around me are being negatively impacted, where it, doesn't, it seems like I'm sucking joy for them, from them, so then they go to a darker place. Is this making sense? And then unfortunately and sadly, what sometimes happens, because we want to experience relief in our lives, for some people, this is where, for some, that they have chosen that they just cannot go on anymore. Two-thirds of suicide, if not more, are related to depression. And some of this you may know, suicide, in the last 15 years, in our country, there is a 24% increase overall. It's now the ninth leading cause of death in Tennessee. It's the leading cause of death for adolescents. The age group from 45 to 54 has now surpassed the age group of 85 and up when it comes to suicides. The cost of suicides and suicide attempts is estimated to be just under $100 billion in our country. And I'm not trying to make this about money. I'm just trying to, like, people taking their lives has a major impact on every facet of society. And for most people who take their lives, it's not that they're sitting there because the people I've walked with or, or, or the funerals I've had to do, I've yet to see a letter of someone who took their life that said something like, you know what, I was just thinking about the year 2043. And I was overwhelmed about what may happen in 2040. People aren't thinking that far out. It's that right now, where I am, I do not see a way out. And for most people who take their lives, it's not a desire to die, it's a desire to escape pain. And here's where I need to address just a few things about suicide. And for some of you, you need this in your life right now. And for some of you, there may be questions that have lingered in your life for years or decades because you've had loved ones who have passed away. And I want to address the issues of, is suicide a sin? And can people go to heaven who have taken their own lives? And for those of you who think this may not be for you, you need to take notes because there's probably going to come a time in your life when you're going to have to walk with someone who is struggling with this or who has had a loved one take their own lives. Is it a sin? Because some people think about suicide and they think, well, it's not a sin because a lot of times people take their own lives. They're not in their right mind. Now, a lot of times the definition you see of sin is it's missing the mark. And suicide is a decision that people make that it misses the mark. It's not God's intent. This is not an option for God. Like, you never see this talked about in the Bible as if God has said, well, this could be an option for you. So I do think suicide, if we, if, I do think it's a sin. And, and, and even for those who are not in their right mind, it, it's not a decision that lines up with who God is. Which I think leads to the next question. Can people who take their own lives go to heaven? Because I've been to a couple of funerals before. Or post-funerals of those who have lost their loved ones. Who have heard people say, I'm sorry that you won't see your loved one in heaven again. And in these moments, my, my, my tendencies to not cause violent harm on people begins to rise up in me. Because I want to go straight stone cold Steve Austin on people sometimes. But the Bible doesn't call, talk about suicide as an unforgivable sin. And there's sometimes people who think of this 
And, w- and the way they think about it, or maybe the way their theology is, is that suicide is murder, and, or suicide is a sin and an affront against who God is. So if I take my own life and I can't, can't confess that sin, then it's an unconfessed sin. And if our theology is that heaven is banking on us confessing the wrong of everything we have done, nobody in this room has a chance. Because there's a lot of unconfessed sin in this room right now. Either unconfessed sin because we're, we've yet to own the sin in our lives or we try to put some positive spin on it. Or unconfessed sin because we've yet to see or acknowledge some of our actions aren't in alignment with who God is. My friend Chris Seidman went through a season in his ministry in Dallas where he had over a dozen people take their own lives in a short period of time. He preached a sermon on suicide last year and he made this one statement that I think is so helpful and it's this. When it comes to suicide, the question isn't, does God forgive people? Because God does forgive. Maybe the best question is, can we forgive people who have taken their own life? It's not just God. It's can you? Can we? Because for those who take their own lives, for most of them, it's not a desire to die. It's to escape pain. It's to experience relief. I have a buddy, Aaron Brockett, he preached a sermon on anxiety a little over a year ago, and he told a story in that sermon that there was a documentary being filmed on the Golden State Bridge, so they set up cameras about this documentary, and what they didn't know is they were going to actually catch people jumping off the bridge. That's not what the documentary was about. Because they were filming the bridge, they ended up filming people who were jumping off the bridge. Well, not everyone who jumps off the Golden State Bridge die. Some of them survive. So they went back and filmed another documentary called The Bridge in which they interviewed people who jumped off the bridge and survived. And there was one story of an 18-year-old kid who was just in a dark place. He, he didn't feel worthy. He didn't feel loved. So he decided he was going to do something about it. So he, he left his house one morning, stopped at a store, got a candy bar and a Mountain Dew. It was going to be his last meal before he took his life. Got to the bridge. As he was standing there thinking and trying to process life, he was just in this fog. And this Asian family walked by, and they were having such a great time and asked him to take their pictures. So he took their pictures, and then he was just like, man, everyone else seems like they're having a great time, and here I am in this fog. So he jumped. And he said the moment he jumped, his mind cleared. The moment he jumped, he was no longer in the fog he had been in for years. So he's falling toward the water, and what he's thinking to himself is, I've never prayed in my life, but I'm praying right now. That if there's a God, will you save me? And the way he tells the story is, he woke up under the water, and there were seals bumping his body back up to the surface. Now, Aaron Brockett even kind of jokes when he tells the story of, I don't really know what to do with that. You know, does God send seals in your life to bump you back up to the surface? Or why didn't God send seals to bump every single person who's jumped off that bridge back to the surface? It's just what happened. But I think what is so powerful about the story is in that moment, his mind cleared. And what role does the church play to walk alongside of people to try to be that agent who can help people's minds clear so they can see clearly? Because for people who are taking their lives, for people who suffer from mental illness, and all of us here, there's some point in our lives or even today where all we want is relief. Relief from pain, relief from emotional pain, psychological pain. We desire relief. So in just a few moments, in a few minutes, we're going to move to tables. And the broad question for us today is where do you desire relief in your life? Where do you want God to bring relief for you? For your heart, mind, body, or soul. Because a lot of times we look for relief in the wrong places. 
Sometimes we think about the church being a hospital, and that metaphor, it breaks down in some places, and it's strong in some places, but something is true about a hospital. Hospitals don't heal people. The people who work in hospitals heal people. That God is working through, and I know that sounds so simplistic because I know there's so many things in hospitals that are strong, but it's the people making decisions in hospitals, the Randy Fredericks of the world who are making decisions for patients, trying to heal them back to health. And when it comes to the church, it's not just the church that heals people, it's the people in the church that God is using to help other people to heal correctly. So whenever we know somebody is in an arena and they're in a fight and they're in a fog, we don't leave them in an arena and only offer up prayers and thoughts. We jump into the arena with them. <clears throat> and what's hard about this is nobody can be the 1 o'clock a.m. call for every other person in the world. You can't do it. But everybody needs the 1 a.m. call. That They know there is that one person who is there for them. Whenever they need them, they can reach out. And they know we'll be loved. Let me point us to Jesus just for a moment, because when I've sat with people, especially in preparation for this sermon, I've sat with multiple people in this series, and I've tried to talk to people who are Christians. I've tried to talk to people who aren't confessing Christianity right now just to hear from them, where their hearts are, where their minds are. And when it comes to mental illness, and when I walk with people who are struggling with mental illness, whether they're Christian or not, I want to point them to Jesus as a healer and the companion. Even if somebody can't grasp Jesus, saving the world or dying on a cross, I hope they can get there, but first... I. I just want to point out, when it comes to mental illness, Jesus wants the mind to be right. He's a healer. He's a companion. In Luke chapter 5, verse 31, Jesus said this about himself. It's not the healthy who need a doctor. It's the sick. Jesus says this about his own mission statement. So if you are sick in any kind of way, know that Jesus is for you. It's not that Jesus is waiting for you to get well, and then Jesus will develop a relationship. It's Jesus came for you. Hebrews 12, 1 through 3 says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles, and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the, th the throne of God. And consider him who endured such opposition from sinners, so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. And sometimes it's the church. It is the church. It's reminding other people, fix your eyes on Jesus. It's, and I wish it worked in this kind of way, where we could point people to that, and there would be immediately like a clear mind, and it doesn't work that way. But we continue to fix our eyes on the one who can heal Philippians 4, 8. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think, fix on these things. And 1 Peter 5, 7 says, cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. And Aaron Brockett, who dug deep into this verse right here, said, it, you know, sometimes we just make this sound so easy. Those of you who are battling with anxiety or depression, just cast it on Jesus, he'll be gone. And the deep, as he looked deeper into this word, the word that sounds a lot better and that fits the Greek better is not just cast, it's transfer. Jesus is coming to walk with us. So I want to help give you an image. It's sometimes what we think about is that when we're in this dark place or people are in a dark place, sometimes the image we use is that we are down in a pit and sometimes it is a pit and it feels like a pit. And thankfully we have a God who doesn't just throw a rope and lift us out of a pit. We have a God who through Jesus has gotten down in the pit with us. But maybe the better image for the church is not to think about this as a dark pit, but a tunnel that has a light at the end of it. 
And we're coming alongside of people, not making it sound like the light is just 10 feet away. Just open your eyes. But, but hey, you are in a dark tunnel, and we are coming with you. And we're going to walk even if it's at a turtle pace. And we're moving to a place where we believe and we know the light is shining. And we'll get there together. So I'm going to leave you with three truths and then one story as I end. And write these down because some of you need these right now and some of you are not going to need these right now but there will come a time in your life when you're going to need a bank on these truths and realities. And it's this. A life that is broken in places does not make one's faith less real. So people who suffer from depression, people who have taken their own lives, people who battle with mental illness, it doesn't make their faith less real. They believe in God. Many of them prayed every single day surrendering to God. It doesn't make their faith less real. Number two is this, a life broken in places doesn't make the work of Jesus less true. And there's nothing you can do that will undo the work of God in Jesus for the world. And number three, where life is broken in places, Jesus desires to insert himself. So the good news we give each other today is that where your life or where your mind may be broken in places, our news is not just that you need to press into God. It's that through Jesus, what we discover is God is pressing into us, not leaving us alone. Many of you know the story of my family. Uh, February of 2010, my sister passed away after an 18-day battle in the ICU in Fort Worth. And many of you know I had a nine-year-old niece at the time who's now a freshman in college. But many of you don't know, it was two years ago this past week, February 14th, two years ago, that we got the call that Malaya had attempted to take her life. And we were, we were devastated. We didn't know. She had written letters to people. She went to school that morning, had it all planned out. She had a friend who was seeing some red flags, so the friend contacted my brother-in-law, David, and said, I think Malaya is not in a good place. I think Malaya has planned to take her life. Malaya, uh, my brother-in-law David went and picked Malaya up. As he put Malaya in the truck, Malaya remembered that there was a new album that came out by Ellie Holcomb, The Red Sea Road, in which Ellie Holcomb sings a lot about light and darkness and, and throughout the entire album. So Malaya started listening to Ellie. David took Malaya to a counselor and then they began to surround her with help and with therapy and with friends and Malaya surrounded herself with a church family. And for Malaya, when I talked to her even this past week about this, she said the word that came up, keeps coming up, is that what she struggled with at that time in her life was abandonment. Even though there was nothing she could do about her mom passing away, she felt abandoned by her mom. She had a relationship go south a little over two years ago. And sometimes we look at those and we're like, breakups happen. You're a teenager. But for some people, and for Malaya, it was this feeling of abandonment. They got so strong in her life. And now two years later, Malaya is leading worship up on the stage of a 15, 2,000-member church in Abilene almost every week, using her gift of God to help bless the people but still aware of this dark cloud that hovers over her. But she feels like she's in a place where she manages it so much better that when that dark cloud comes, she knows what she needs to do. And we're here today, and I don't know how you're receiving this sermon, and I know this sermon series 
It means so much more teaching is going on. But, but here's just what I want to leave you with. That if you're in this place today and you're thinking, I can't live like this anymore, we are begging you, please live. Because there's another way for you. Reach out for help. You're not alone. And for us to acknowledge, it is a lot easier to talk about physical pain than it is to talk about mental and emotional pain. But we want to be a church that learns how to do this so much better. So help us as we create space for all people. And if there is a place for you where you need relief in any kind of way, we offer a moment for you. I want to ask the elders of the church, our shepherds. I want to ask prayer leaders surround this room today. And there's going to be movement to some tables as we sing a couple of songs. And we invite you to, to, to the table. And it's a broad invitation that wherever you need relief for your heart, mind, body, or soul, where you're asking God for relief, will you go and write it down? You can leave your name next to it. You don't have to leave a name if you don't want to. We would just be honored to pray over you this week. Let's stand together. And let's sing a song.